Welcome back to a podcast greater than yourself, season two. I'm John Barleycorn. And I am Fred. And once again, this is season two of a podcast greater than yourself, our series called Clear Cut Directions, where each episode, a speaker takes you through the clear cut directions for a specific step or steps right out of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. So yeah, enjoy, enjoy this episode. And uh, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback on all the podcasts that are coming out. Reach out to us at podcastgreaterthanyourself at gmail.com. Yeah, or or hit us up on Instagram at podcastgreaterthanyourself or at dr underscore silkworth. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the episode. you guys. My name is Dawn and I am a recovered alcoholic. Um, I am so excited to be talking about my favorite thing on the whole planet, which is God today. Um, So we are talking about step two and on page 59, I want to really break down step two and the way it's written out in in, on page 59. And this is what I, I like to do when I'm taking women through the work just to kind of set the stage of what we're doing here, right? So it says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So if I'm coming to believe, it means I don't necessarily have to be convinced right now. I don't need a 10-page dissertation on God at this point in this book, right? I'm, I'm just getting started on this relationship with God. So through the process of working the rest of these steps, that's when I will come to believe in this power greater than myself because I will have had an experience with it by then and I will believe that that power is real. But for most of us, we come in the rooms, we don't, right? We are in this place where I, I don't believe God is real or I don't care or uh, we, we have these strong beliefs about God. Um, so once I do the work, I will have this experience and I will come to believe. And for me, the using the word power, that was super powerful me, for me because I didn't want to hear about God. I'd, I was not having anything about God. Um, I had a sponsor in the very beginning that claimed to be atheist, funny enough, but still taught me about God um, and allowed me to use whatever conception of God I felt comfortable with. I could use, you know, energy or some spirit of the universe. And I really loved using those terms in the beginning, spirit of the universe and things like that. Um, but this higher power right? Whatever it is that I can relate to in that moment, whatever I want to call it in my mind, when I hear God, as long as I think of whatever my conception of God is at that point in time, no matter what it looks like is good enough. So it says this power could restore me to sanity, not that it did or it will, right? Because this is dependent upon me doing some work. So this power could restore me to sanity if I do the work, um, but it's not guaranteed to me. And uh, it says that word sanity, right? And I have to believe I'm insane to be seeking something to restore me to sanity. So I've got to believe I'm insane. And 
after have been I have been thoroughly through uh, the first step and the fifty something pages that are trying to convince me whether or not I'm a real alcoholic or not, sh- I should after that time I should understand the hopeless condition of my mind and body that I suffer from, and I should believe that it's literally insane for me to continue to drink if if I am what this book says that I am. But the thing is, the when does the sanity return? The book actually tells me sanity doesn't return until step 10. If we look at page 84, it says, by this time, sanity will have returned. And so there's a lot of work I got to do between step two and step 10 uh, to get that sanity. So one of the things my sponsor told me in the very beginning is, um, and this is something that some people think is kind of harsh when I tell them, um, but she told me, you don't get to have an opinion on something you haven't had an experience with, and you wouldn't be here if you had already had this experience with God that I'm about to show you how to have. So um, when we go through we agnostics, we're not here to prove God is or isn't real. What we're here to do is it, it sort of turns the tables on me. And it starts to look at me and my prejudices and my beliefs around God and spiritual things and religious things. And um, that was kind of a shock to me because, you know, I, when I first got this book, I sat and I read We Agnostics first thing because I'm like, yeah, this is going to tell me how to get around the God thing. Um, And here I am today saying that God's my most favorite thing to talk about. Um, And so that's only from the power that... um, this book has in the way that it can change our lives. So um, the thing I often found find interesting about this book is it never says you are at step one, here are the instructions. You are at step two, here are the instructions. It doesn't really start getting into that until we're at step three. That's the first time it says you are at step three and gives that those directions. So we kind of have to go through here and find them. Um, but for me, when I'm getting to step two, when I'm working with a woman, we go to, we go to, we agnostics and we start reading and I don't, I could sit here and read for two hours and discuss this whole chapter. Um, cause there's so much in here. Um, but you guys are going to be tired of hearing me talk after a while. So, um, I will try to keep this brief. Um, but again, this is one of my favorite chapters. And it starts off saying, in the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. Because if they haven't made it clear, we're going to say it one more time for the slow people in the back, which was me, right? Um, So here are these two qualifying questions. And I ask these questions of women when I first sit down with them that first day that they asked me to be their sponsor. I'm like, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about it. Um, So I'm going to ask you some questions. And this is one of those questions that I ask. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. I'm not going to tell you, yes, you are an alcoholic. You've passed the test. That's for you to decide, right? Um, But if I turn that statement into a question, and that's what I do, I'll sit there and I'll turn these statements into questions and ask uh, these potential alcoholics um, if they relate to this to see if they do. Because if you don't relate to anything this book says, you might not be a real alcoholic. And it discusses that a lot um, in the preceding chapters. And so it says, if that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So I am going through this book to have this spiritual experience. That's what this is setting me up for. And this spiritual experience is going to help me to recover from that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, which is why I introduced myself as a recovered alcoholic, which some people find really controversial, despite the fact that recovered is 
throughout this book all over the place. So it tells me to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. And for a normal person, they might be like, that seems like really easy alternatives to face. I know which one I'm going to take, right? But for us alcoholics, we're a little stubborn and we're like, well, you know, for me, I was like, how bad is that alcoholic death going to be? I mean, am I going to die quick and painless or is this going to be like long? Am I going to suffer? Like I need to know all the details before I make this decision because in my mind, I had these preconceived notions of what it looked like to live on a spiritual basis, which I have to say today, some years later, that conception that I had was completely wrong. The way my life looks today, I would say... I am one of the most spiritual people that I know besides my other friends in this program, right? And my life looks nothing like what I thought it would coming in and living on a spiritual basis. I thought life would be boring and glum and what am I going to do with my life and I can't have any fun. And that is the exact opposite of what my life is today. So, um, you know, again, we it, it's all about our perceptions of things and our prejudices that we have that are keeping us blocked from, from this way of life. On the bottom of page 44, it says, if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago, but we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us no matter how much we tried. So I literally, no matter what I what I know in my morals and my philosophies, I literally can't do the right thing when the wrong thing's going to get me what I want because I'm so focused on getting what I want out of life. I'm so selfish and self-centered that when there's something that I want, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. And it doesn't matter if it violates my morals. It just doesn't. I literally can't do the right thing. I can be in the middle of doing something knowing it's the wrong thing to do. But I find myself not being able to stop myself. I'm literally driven by fear, resentment, and all these other things that we find out later on in the book that really drive our lives. And I lack the power to do anything further, right? So further down, it says lack of power. That was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how were we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. And when I get here and my sponsor's going through this and we're reading this and I'm like, girl, I just came here to not drink, right? Like, I, why am I going to have to hook up with this power? Why am I going to have to talk about God? Like, just tell me how to not drink. Well, honey, this is the way. This is the only answer that I have for you, right? Um, this is the only thing that has worked for me. So this is probably going to be the only thing that works for you at this point. Like there's there's no other option um, that I know of that that can help. So here we are. We're we're talking about God. And here this is where people start saying, Oh no, I I have a problem with God. I don't want to do this. Well, Here's the thing. If I have a problem with God, I, I still am not convinced of step one. If I'm being told my only option is this power greater than myself that this book is talking about, um, then I'm going to be willing to do whatever you tell me to do because I know that I'm completely fucked based on what we just discussed in step one. I have no other option. So on page 46, it goes to say, we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. So it's telling me, I just have to be willing to believe. 
I don't have to be convinced. Like we talked about earlier, I just have to be willing to believe. And my sponsor was like, are you convinced that I believe? I'm like, yeah, I think you believe. She's like, do you believe that I got it from doing the things that are in this book? I'm like, yeah, sure. That makes sense. She's like, okay, then are you willing to at least try out what is in this book as it's laid out to see if the same thing happens for you? I'm like, what do I have to lose? You basically told me I'm fucked and I'm going to die. So yeah, I'm willing to try it. And that's all we have to have at this point is a willingness to try. If at any point in time, this does not work for me, I can go back to living my miserable life that I had before. Um, I'm not committed to anything at this point. And it says like, It's impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. I can tell you what God has done in my life. I can tell you what it looks like for God to be in my life, how God shows up, and the miracles that literally happen in my life every day because God's in my life. But I can't fully define or comprehend that power. If I were to try, I would sell it so short because I know that that power is greater than I can even ever imagine, even though I have had some time having experiences with this power and know the amazing things it can do in my life. Uh, from The book talks several times about this power will solve all your problems, and that has been my experience. It has been way more than just not drinking for me. Relationships, financial, career, all the things that happen in our life. From my experience, uh, God has been able to have a part in that as long as I'm willing to let God into that area of my life. And for those of us who might have some more time in the program, we can get into these areas of agnosticism where we're still not letting God into our lives and we're still trying to run the show. And um, I, I go through a process every year of uh, really doing some deep meditation and taking a look at where are my levels of agnosticism today because I believe God's going to keep me sober. After some time, like the easiest thing I do is not think about picking up a drink today, but I can still pick up uh, my life and run it to the ground and not let God have any part of it. Um, so for those of us here for some time, you know, my suggestion is to, um, take some time and and look at what parts of, of your life are you, are you still running the show and where are you not allowing God in? Um, So back to page 46, it talks about, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and effect a contact with Him. So it does not matter how basic my God is at this point, right? I can think, okay, well, God is something other than me, and that's enough. You know, I don't have to have a a specific definition. It can be very inadequate, and I can still get results. And when I talk to my girls about God. It's like, when you hear the word God, don't think about what I'm thinking about God. Don't think about what my conception of God is. Think about what your conception of God is. You know, just turn that around in your head because, you know, the book talks about how we bristle with antagonism when we hear the word God, because we think, oh, it has to be a certain type of God. It has to be a Christian God, or it has to be, you know, this other type of God or whatever. And it might be, and that's fine, but it doesn't have to be. Um, that's up for you to decide. Um, so it gets to be your own conception of God. 
So when we get to page 47, we get our clear-cut directions for step two. And again, it's a question. We, we have to answer these questions for ourselves. So it says, do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? So at this point, again, it's all about willingness. If I don't believe, am I willing to just try it? If I can answer this, this, this question, yes, it says... Um, we emphatically ensure him that he is on his way. So all we have to have is a willingness and we're on our way. That's good enough to get started. And for some people who are willing and they understand the hopelessness of their condition, we can stop there and we can move on to step three. You're willing to believe? Okay, cool. Let's let's make the decision and let's get you started on the inventory, get you into action, get you into the work so that you can get to that spiritual experience as quickly as possible. But we have a whole bunch more pages that we can go through for those that are a little bit more stubborn or like, I don't know, I'm not convinced yet. I still think that this is some bullshit. Um, so we go over to page 48 and it says, faced with alcoholic destruction. Okay, are you convinced you are faced with alcoholic destruction? <laughs> Because if not, we need to go back to step one. We need to understand that we are faced with alcoholic destruction to be willing to continue these steps, right? Because nobody wants to do any of this, right? I get it. N none of us were thinking, you know, when we were 10 years old, God, I can't wait to grow up and become an alcoholic so I can work those 12 steps and tell everybody um, that I was wrong for all the things I had done all my life. And no, none of us ever wanted any of this, right? Um, so I've got to be convinced I'm faced with alcoholic destruction. And if I am, then what the book tells me is that I I will soon become as open-minded on spiritual matters as I had tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. Sometimes this was a tedious process. We hope no one else will be prejudiced for as long as some of us were. So alcohol was this great persuader that beat me into a state of reasonableness. Alcohol was the only thing that was going to bring me to God. That was my experience. I um, I know a lot of times when we talk about step two in a meeting, people start off with, well, I was raised in so-and-so church and this happened and I didn't go back to church. Or they say, oh, well, I've always believed in God. Me and God are tight. We've, you know, we've always had this relationship and and people um, start to talk about their, their church experience or whatever. And uh I, I had some church experience. Uh, it wasn't all that great, and it wasn't really something that I resonated with. And so it's it's interesting that, you know, many years later, um, I'm presented with the fact that um, you're either going to die or you're going to get in this, re this relationship with God. And I don't have to be um, a part of any religious affiliation. I don't have to be a part of any church. I don't have to have anyone to be this... Uh, conduit between me and God. I am building a direct relationship with God, me and God. Um, I don't have to have anyone else to help me reach God. And so that's the beautiful part of this is that my relationship with God is personal to me. It might look different than your relationship with God, and, and that's okay. Uh, my experience is that it grows and evolves and changes over time. Uh, the way I hear God today is different than it was when I first came into the rooms. And the the beautiful thing is, is that 
you know, after working these steps and getting this relationship and coming to believe in this power, I have found that my life is easier when I go to this power. I can literally go for any question. Um, I sit down and I do what is called two-way prayer with God all the time, no matter what is going on in my life, what questions I have, what things I can't figure out. I can just sit down and I can write a conversation with God and I can leave there with answers knowing that I'm so tight with God because I do this every day that I I trust that this is from God. Sometimes it's not. (laughs) Sometimes I go and I I take action and I'm like, well, I guess that wasn't really God. Um, I thought it was, and that's okay. We're still human. Um, And I still doubt God sometimes, even though God is so powerful in my life and I see this power working so much in my life, there are still times where I have doubts. And I I talked to my sponsor about this recently. I'm like, I was telling her about a situation that just happened. I don't remember what it was. And I was like, why do I still doubt God when these cool things happen? She's like, honey, you're human. You know, It's, it's going to happen. You know, there are going to be things that we're not going going to want to bring to God. There are things that we are um, just going to feel um, that we need to run the show in whatever that area is. But um, I've always found that no matter what it is, because I can imagine some really cool shit happening in my life. And every time I put that aside and put whatever that is in God's hands, it comes out way better than anything I could ever imagine. And it says that all throughout the book. And I was like, bullshit. Every time I read it, I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. These people are just trying to sell me on something, right? They're just trying to sell me on an easier way of life, honestly. And it really, truly has been my experience. Um, It happens every time. So um, on page 50... It says, on one one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. So it's talking about the personal stories that you'll read in the book. And despite all the differences in their stories, despite um, all the different types, uh, all the different amounts of drink they had, you know, what their alcoholism looked like, uh, despite all the differences in their backgrounds and all the things all of them can agree on the solution to alcoholism and that they have gotten that through a power greater than themselves. And I love the words has gained access to, because like I mentioned earlier, this is a direct relationship. I have direct access to God. I don't have to go ask a psychic to talk to God for me and give me the answers, right? I have this direct relationship with God that literally solves all my problems. So down a couple paragraphs, it says, here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe, again, those words come to believe, in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things. Those certain simple things are outlined in this book. It's not a question of what we have to do. Uh, We have clear-cut directions on what we need to do. And if we do these things, there are some promises here of what we're going to get. There has been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. So if we do what they did, we'll get what they got. So if I do the rest of these steps, I'm going to have a revolutionary change in the way of my living and thinking. 
In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. I was like, yeah, I need that. I need that bad. Um, And it says this happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Again, the requirements that are laid out here in this book. So if I do what they tell me to do, I'll get what they got. It's that simple, right? It says, once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, I have to ask myself, is my existence futile? (laughs) I did believe my life was futile. From the outside looking in, it wasn't really that bad. Um, I had a job. I had a place to live, things like that. But inside, there's this part of the book that talks about this pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. And I didn't know what any of those words meant. Like, I couldn't tell you what the definition of them were, but I knew that I felt that. I knew that whatever those words were, that that was me. That's how I felt. And so it tells me that leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. And so when I look back on my life, yeah, uh, drinking brought me a lot of consequences. But even when the drink was taken away from me, my life was still unsatisfactory. When you take the drink away from a real alcoholic, their life gets worse, not better, unless they have a spiritual way of life, um, which is outlined in this book. So for me, even when I tried to not drink for a period of time and stay dry, my life was still unsatisfactory. But it says they show how the change came over them when many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives. They present a powerful reason why one should have faith. And so if the consciousness of the presence of God is the most important fact of my life, what should that look like? How much time am I spending with God? Am I praying in the car on the way to work, and that's the only time that God gets, right? Am I saying a quick prayer when I'm in the shower, hoping that God's going to drop miracles in my life when I spend five minutes with this power while I'm doing something else on top of that, right? For me, in the beginning, it was. That's what it looked like. I was like, okay, I'm going to say a quick prayer. I'm going to do what the book tells me to do, and I'm going to move on. Um, But today, I know that I have this presence of God with me all throughout the day. It is there when I want it. It's not going to interfere with my life when I'm not asking it to, but all I have to do is stop whatever I'm doing and ask God for help in that moment. Um, And today for me, it does look like I spend an hour every morning with God. And that is one-on-one time where I get messages from God directly on what needs to happen in my life. And I, before I sat down for this podcast, I prayed, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. I have no idea. I'm a little nervous. And I sat and I talked to God and all of a sudden some notes started flowing on the paper and I made some notes of some things that I wanted to talk about today. And anything that is troublesome or a question that I have, all I have to do is stop call on God and I get, I get the solution. It's as easy as that. Um, and that comes with practice. It comes with doing the work that is outlined in the book. So I become unblocked from this power and I have that direct access and I practice talking to that power every day and getting the answers, taking action on that answer. 
and uh, my life changes. It changes drastically. And page 52, I love this paragraph. It's, it talks about these bedevilments. And when I read this, I would ask you to turn these into questions and ask yourself if you're having any of these troubles, whether you've been sober five minutes or you've been sober 10, 20, 30 years. It says, we were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. And that's the way my life looked with or without alcohol. It wasn't the alcohol that made my life look like this. Um, It was the spiritual malady. And I've come to understand that this is a human condition, right? This isn't something that's unique to an alcoholic. Normal people suffer from this too. Um, I have plenty of friends that aren't alcoholics that (laughs) have these problems. Um, We might burn our life to the ground a little bit more because of them, but, you know, uh, we we have this, I don't know, I like to refer it to this hole that's inside of me. And I'm trying to fill it with all these things and it just never works. And so if I am filling these, whether I am drinking or sober or not, then I have to take a look at what what is causing me to have trouble with my personal relationships? Why can't I control my emotional natures? For me, my experience is there's probably something missing in my program. And there's something that I need to work out with God and work through the steps again. Um, Because for my experience, like I've been lucky enough in the beginning, I didn't think it was so lucky that I had uh, so many sponsors in my first few years of sobriety. But now I've come to appreciate that experience because I've had um, different people show me through the work and show me uh, different ways of looking at things. And on top of that, each time I got to look at myself deeper and deeper and deeper because in the beginning I was only willing to look so, so far and look so deep. And every time I went through it, I got a new, better understanding of myself, of the things that were blocking me from God and got a closer connection to God by going through the steps. So I always encourage people, um, if it's been a while since you've been through the steps, especially if you're feeling any of these things in this paragraph, it might be something to consider going through the work again, um, going through the work of uh, 1 through 9, because most of us live in the disciplines of 10, 11, and 12 every day. Um, But it's been my experience and the experience of the women that I work with that going through the work again it gives us this new experience, this new understanding of what's in the book. And um, that helps us to then better help others because it's at the end of the day, that's what this is all about, right? My sponsor took me through this work so that I can then know what to do and take someone else through this work. And that's what I do when I sit down to take someone through this work is you you need to make notes. You need to highlight these things. You need to understand this because you're going to be taking someone else through this work. And um, that's that's why we're here. Because if, if you're not willing to do that, then you, you still have a step one problem because uh, you don't believe that you have to do this. So it tells us uh, back in the book on page 52, when we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, and again, I love the word spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. I can tell you 50,000 examples of how my ideas did not work. None of my ideas worked. Um, 
And I wasn't quite sure at the time that this God idea was going to work, but I was willing to try it because I saw how much my ideas didn't work. And I, I was at my rope's end. There was nothing left for me to do. I had tried everything I possibly knew of and none of it worked. So I was willing to try this thing you say is simple, simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe. But I can tell you, it didn't seem simple to me in the beginning. I, uh, my current sponsor, I started working with her when I was probably three years sober and I was still going through the motions of this God thing, but only in certain areas of my life. And I told her that I had some fear around relying on this power for certain things in my life. And, uh, she's like, well, what, what are you so scared of? And I'm like, well, um, I guess essentially that, you know, I'm not going to get what I want, <laughs> which is always is right. And, um, she's like, well, how's what you're doing working for you now? And I was like, I see where you're going with this. It's not working too good. And, uh, she's like, well, wouldn't you at least be willing to try? Anything's got to be better than what you're doing now. And I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, and so after that conversation, I things really started to change for me. And I really started digging deeper into my relationship with God. And uh, I remember one time I was reading the 11th Step Promises, where it talks about we don't tire so easily because we're not foolishly running around trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. Because my first few years of sobriety, I still was trying to arrange life to suit me. I was like, God's keeping me sober. I've got all the rest of it. Thank you very much. And um, and I, because I thought that's all it was. I didn't get it. I still didn't get it yet. Um, and that's when I finally got it. I'm like, oh, like. God is everything or God is nothing. So that means like I've got to like let God into all of these areas of my life. And uh, that actually brings me, that's what I was about to read in the in the next uh, little part of the book. It says, we when we became alcoholics crushed by a self-imposed crisis, because I did all this to me, nobody else did, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else He is nothing. God either is or He isn't. What was our choice to be? So if God is everything, then I literally have to have God in every area of my life. I have to bring God into everything that I do. And one of the things that my sponsor taught me to do is, and I know this is more step 11 upon awakening stuff, but what I would do every morning is I would look at my calendar and I'm like, okay, these are all the things I have to do for the day. And I would literally ask God for help in each and every single one of those things, right? I would say, okay, God, I'm meeting with so-and-so today. What is your will for me in this? Show me what you need me to do here. And that was my way of saying, I'm not in control. You are. These are the things that are supposed to happen. Whatever's supposed to happen, you just guide me. And, you know, things didn't always go my way. Sometimes those things didn't even happen, right? Some things get canceled. Things get rearranged. But it always works out for my highest good has been my experience. So I'm going to skip over to page 55. And it says, we finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup, just as much of as the feeling we have for a friend. God should be my friend. God is my best friend, right? God knows me better than anyone else does. Um, and I spend more time with God than I do with anybody else in my life. God 
cares about me. God wants what's best for me. But for some reason, you know, I'm convinced that, you know, God's going to want me over in left field when I want to be in right field. God's going to want me to be doing things that I don't want to do. And like, why would God want that? Why would that be what God is wanting for me? That has not been my experience so far, but that was my fear in the beginning. And it says sometimes we had to search fearlessly. <laughs> um, so I have to ask myself, am I, am I searching God? Am I searching for God fearlessly? Because in the beginning, I did. I had fears about searching for God. I had fears about what God was going to tell me and the answers to my questions. Um, and so I had to let go of those fears. And my experience is that fear doesn't just go away. Um what courage really is about is feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Because sometimes like I can ask God, okay, remove the fear and it is, but sometimes God has a lesson for me to learn. And it, I do have to build that courage through uh, doing the thing that God's telling me to do, even though I fear it. And again, it's, it's always like, why was I scared of that? Why did I think that was going to be so bad? Um, Cause it, it always works out amazingly. So it says, we found the great reality deep down within us, and great reality is capitalized. Obviously, that's God. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. It is only deep down within me that I'm going to find God. I had been searching for God everywhere, everywhere, all external things, searching for what I didn't know at the time would only be filled by God. And it was within me that entire time. And that's why prayer and meditation is so important. Going within, that is where I connect to this power. That is where I get all these answers. It's not me I learned, like, because I played God for a long time. I thought I was God. I thought I was in control of my universe. But I realized that I'm not God, but I am a part of God. God is within me, and that's where I get my power. And so at the end of We Agnostics, it tells a story, and this man is sitting and has this thought, right? And the reason why I want to talk about this is because we we often get into the state of, well, miracles don't really happen in my life, you know? Um, and... I think that miracles are way more simple than we often think that they are. Could a simple thought be a miracle? I believe so. And I believe this story really, really says this. So this guy's in a hospital and an alcoholic approaches him to help him with his alcoholism. And he's all upset. He's like, if there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. But later on in his room, he's sitting there and he asks himself this question. Is it possible that all the religious people I have known are wrong? And so I will often ask my girls, is it possible that all the people in AA that claim that they did the work through this book, had a spiritual experience because of it, and now have a direct relationship with God and are recovered alcoholics. Is it possible that they're wrong about this? <laughs> and you're right? <laughs> and you're the one that can't quit drinking? Um, so it's questions we have to ask ourselves, right? So then it says, while pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. Then like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. Who are you to say there is no God? Who the fuck am I to say there is no God? I may not understand God. I may not have had an experience with God yet, but who am I? I am a speck in the dust. You know what I mean? Like, who am I to say there is no God? 
So that right there was a miracle for him, right? This very thought was a miracle. So he says, this man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. The barriers he had built through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. Infinite power and love. That is God for me today. This infinite power and love. And I love uh, infinite intelligence, it says in the book as well. For me, it is like, it is like my version of the internet, right? Like I can hook up my computer to the internet and I can find information to anything I want, right? As long as I'm hooked up to it. If I turn my Wi-Fi off, I'm not going to get anything. All I got to do is connect to the internet and I have access to all of the internet, all of the information you could possibly want. I don't know where the internet is. I don't know where this stuff resides. I'm not a techie nerd, Um, but I know it's somewhere out there, right? We have to access it somewhere. And so, you know, I think of this infinite power and love as as something that I can connect to, just like I connect to the internet to find information, to find the answers to my questions. All I got to do is connect to it through prayer, through prayer and meditation. And through that, then I have access to infinite intelligence. I may not know the answers, but I get guided to the answers. I get guided to the actions I need to take to find the answers. I get guided to another human that might give me the answers. But I may never know that that is where I need to go if I don't stop and ask. It's just as simple as stopping and asking for guidance, you know? Um, It's like being lost and refusing to stop and ask someone for directions, you know, Um, back in the day before we had GPS. But, (laughs) um, you know, if I am lost and I need direction, why wouldn't I stop and ask? But we do. We go around running our lives not knowing what the fuck we're doing, and we're too stubborn to stop and ask for guidance because we still think we know what is what. Um, So on page 57, it says, Even so has God restored us all to our right minds. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grew into it more slowly, but he has come to all who have honestly sought him. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. So when I read that, it helps me to understand that even though there are some people who have dramatic spiritual experiences where things just change for them immediately, that not all of us do. Sometimes it comes on more slowly. Sometimes I'm a little bit more stubborn in how I'm how much I'm willing to open myself up to this power. And so it comes on more slowly. But in my experience, it's it's up to me, right? Am I just completely ready to surrender and let this power take over? Or am I not? Um, if I am, I'm going to probably get it more quicker than if I'm not. I might have to be a little more stubborn and go into it more slowly. But God always comes if I open up myself and allow that power to come through. But again, I have to be pretty badly mangled before I'm willing to pick up these spiritual tools. That's been my experience. But when I draw close to him, he discloses himself to me every single time. Um, And so with that, um, I just would close with asking you all to um, take a look at, at where you are with your relationship with God today. How much time are you spending with God? And 
what could you do to deepen that relationship? What could you do uh, to seek that power more in your life? And what areas of your life do you feel like you're still running the show? And where could you allow God to, to help you with that? Um, so if you've made it this far, thank you for staying and listening. And that's all I got. This has been a podcast greater than yourself. A podcast greater than yourself was created by recovered alcoholics. All involved in the creation of this podcast are active members of Alcoholics Anonymous who wish to carry the message of our own recovery to those who still suffer. We do not claim to represent Alcoholics Anonymous. All comments are from our own experiences as alcoholics who have recovered by following the directions for the 12 steps found in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks for listening.